Hello, coffee lovers, and welcome to the God Country Live Video Podcast. Every every Friday evening at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And now, live from Seguin, Texas, and other places around the world, your host, Jose Roberto Alaniz Jr. Hello, coffee lovers. Jose Alaniz, third day coffee Seguin. It's 1900 on Friday night. That means it's time for God Country Coffee. And uh, we got a great guest tonight. I've got a couple of things that we got to talk about before we get to our amazing guest. Um, D1, and I'll, I'll put it in the comments in a little while, Delta-1 uh, is our promo code. It's good for 10% off any of the coffee we have online and up to 20% off for monthly subscriptions. Um we have all of the fall flavors, pumpkin spice, caramel macchiato. We have the new pecan roast. We have uh, hazelnut, uh, caramel hazelnut, caramel hazelnut. Anyway, all the all the fall flavors are online. Check us out. Uh, I'll put our website scrolling here shortly. And, uh, and before the show's over, I'll put the discount code uh, in the um, in the comments. Um, I struggle with it a little bit. With the tech still, I need like three laptops to do this properly. But anyway, uh, tonight my guest is from the other side of the world, literally uh, almost polar opposite of where we're at. And uh, even though we're getting into our winter season, they are just coming into their summer season. I guess they're in their spring right now. And uh, Chris Dye, he is a native New Zealander. And I, I hope that's the right term. He'll correct me here in a minute. And uh, he's also a veteran of the New Zealand military, and we'll talk about that a little bit, which is why I reached out. Uh, I met him uh, through my children who are in New Zealand, my, my daughter, Danielle, and, and her husband, Brad Maxton, and my grandson, Michael's over there. So uh, at some point in the future, uh, Chris and I will actually sit across the table and have a cup of coffee and uh, uh, in person whenever New Zealand opens up again. So without further ado, I'm going to bring my guest on. Mr. Chris Dye. What's going on, man? Hey, hey, good to be back. Good to be back. Just uh, enjoying a Saturday afternoon. Um, got a coffee and, uh, yeah, have a chat. Awesome, man. I'm, I'm really glad to have you on the show. Um, we do this every Friday night, and uh, we talk about all things, uh, any anything. Usually I, get, I hit two of the three, either country and coffee or God and coffee or God and country or, you know, any one of the three, but I'm really excited to have you as a guest tonight uh, because you have a unique perspective, uh, not just of the States, but uh, from a military standpoint. And so um, while you introduce yourself, I'm going to be looking at, I've got to do some things in the background. So if I'm out looking, it's not because I'm not paid attention. I just, I got to do a couple of things while we start. Um, but if you would introduce yourself, uh, tell us about where you're from, uh, where you grew up, and what led you to join the military? All right. Well, um, so I was born in Upper Hutt, which is a, a suburb of our capital city, um, Wellington, in the lower side of the North Island of New Zealand. Um, and I grew up, uh, first 10 years, we um, my parents were semi-hippies, um, but they, they were hippies that didn't like drugs. So I guess they didn't even get being a hippie right in that respect. Um, but so we grew up um, in a semi-rural property with no electricity for the first 10 years. Um, and then my parents decided to, um, that they were teachers. 
um, and they like teaching at alternative schools, which was uh, Raphael House, which is a German school, which is it's it's German, it's Christian, um, it's alternative. Uh, I would say it's probably very liberal um, in its viewpoints. Um, so so this is what my parents were doing. And so we moved around a lot as they were going around um, New Zealand and Australia, starting up small schools like this or um, being early teachers in it. Um, and so I traveled around a lot, a little bit around Australia. And then when I was about 17, got back to New Zealand. And um, and I suppose because, you know, my upbringing had been sort of, you know, all, all over the show and my parents being hippies had some odd beliefs such as um, they're, they're pagans. So, you know, from my early years, I was told elves and leprechauns were true, which, you know, got a little bit of mocking at school until I realized clearly that wasn't the case. Um, so came back to New Zealand and, and really didn't want to be, you know, wanted to get some of my own views in the world. And um, I'd already always liked um, the stories of sort of King Arthur and, you know, the knights and the soldiers. I really loved those stories. So the military sort of called to me in that respect as, uh, of adventure and, and what have you. Um, so I joined the military when I was 20. Um, yep, joined the military in, when I was 20, and they take you away to uh, the Wairu training camp, which is um, in the middle of North Island. It's at the base of our largest uh, mountain and volcano, Mount Ruapehu. So it's, um, gets, it, it snows, but mainly rains, cold sleet in winter. It's horrid. Um, it's like a tussock grass, cold desert. And then in, in summer, it's sort of about... 40 degrees and just blistering hot and horrid again. Um, so that's where we did our training, um, which was fun. It was good. Um, and I, I joined as a truckie um, just because I liked cars. I knew nothing about the military. Like, you know, my, my, my inspiration was King Arthur, which isn't exactly current affairs. So um, anyway, so I loved the physical aspect. Um, I loved, you know, the shooting, the, the, just, just, just all the freaking the exercises. I really enjoyed it. I didn't like, I didn't like barracks life. I didn't like being in a barracks. I didn't like marching. Um, I was always terribly socially awkward as to when, you know, to, to salute the, the right person. Just yeah, that that I didn't work too well at. Um, but I was good. I was a good driver, and I was, I was a you know a good good private soldier. And I managed to make my way up to corporal, um, and down to lance corporal, and then up to corporal again after some misadventures. Um, and did a little bit of time. I, I left um, the regular force and joined the territorial force, but um, which is our, our part-time soldiers. But I was a full-time part-time soldier, um, so I was, that was uh, um, which you can do in New Zealand. Um, and I did that, and I did uh, some infantry with them, and then I got a deployment to the Solomon Islands, um, which was a lot of fun. It was as uh, an extended holiday in a tropical paradise. Of semi paradise, um, with some strict rules and timings, um, but that was that was really about the extent of it. Had some fun, and then um, oh, I should backtrack a little bit. I, I met my wife actually shortly, you know, after I joined in two thousand and five. I met my wife, and we're still together. We've got four kids. Um, yeah, uh, so when I left the military. Um, I really didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't think I could do anything. Um, I was, well, I suppose I was actually a bit depressed, if I'm honest about it. Like, you know, I realized I wasn't ever going to go far in the military. 
Um, so I had to do something else, but I had no idea what I could do. And um, I didn't want to be a truck driver. Um, just I couldn't do the same thing all the time, every day like that. It just it didn't sit with me. Um, and that's when a mate said, you know, do you want to help make a rifle stock? And I wasn't doing much. So I was like, hell yeah, let's, let's play with carbon fiber rifle stocks. Um, and so we had a go at um, making a business, making carbon fiber rifle stocks. And whilst the business should have worked, we um, weren't very good businessmen. And, and we managed to, you know, essentially make a series of poor decisions, which meant that that inevitably failed. Um, but we did learn how to make carbon fiber, fiber rifle stocks. And it's something I still play with a little bit and come into a bit of money. My, uh, or will, you know, intend to, to get it back up off the ground because um, there's definitely definitely a business there. Um, and now now I'm a builder in Wellington, New Zealand. Um, yeah, and, and that's me. That's pretty uh, – you know, you hit a lot of things that are – I really wanted to contrast our – and, you know, the similarities and the differences in our, in our service, but um, – you know, you hit some key things there. I think most of us uh, are kind of lost when we get out. We just don't know what, you know, what we're going to do or, or, or what to do next. Um, and it's usually somebody who comes alongside. Now, this this friend of yours who came alongside you and said, hey, let's do these stocks. Was he also a military buddy? Yeah, yeah. There was two of them, actually, and, and they're both um, ex-military. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Together. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that's a common, you know, I don't know if it's common. I think it's becoming common, uh, especially here in the States where uh, you see a lot of veteran entrepreneurs really, really get together, pool their resources, try to figure out, you know, who's got what, who can help with what. And, uh, and, and it makes a big difference. But, but how long was your transition, like after you got out of the service, before you started one realizing that you had a problem like i didn't it just didn't feel right till till you're in the job that you're at now like how long was that time frame it was a good two years at least it was probably you know a, a year maybe two years whilst i was in because i was in for about 10 years so it was um probably i should have left after eight years but i was concerned about you know could i uh pay for my mortgage could i you know find a job to do all these other things um it, could I actually survive as a civilian? You know, like you know, I hadn't done it. Um, it'd been mum and dad, and in the army, could I could I actually be a civilian? Um, and so it was, you know, I, I suppose a bit of fear, wanting, you know, not sure if I could uh, live up to it. And then when I left, yeah, it did take two years before I was like happy with. Okay, yeah, I can be a builder. I can do that, and um, it's fun. Yeah, that's pretty awesome because it, it took me a lot longer to figure out that I could. I mean. Not that I didn't have work. I did have work, you know, that was similar to my military service. I did uh, comms. I did uh, electronics. And so I did find jobs where I could work. But um, it wasn't like like I, I just couldn't fit in. Like I didn't find that one, you know, job where I'm like, okay, I'm cool here. And, and I think part of that is the fact that, you know, you, you lose that structure and the camaraderie, you know, and it's funny because now I don't want to cut my facial hair or my hair hair. You know, I totally do not want to conform to anything, you know, that I conformed to for so many years. And, uh, but I still miss that, you know, I don't know. It's just belonging to a cause that's bigger than you, you know? Yeah. I, and, uh, I really miss actually the, um, 
I suppose the the PE or the, the PT. Um, I miss you know routine PT that you're forced to do, and you got you know freaking expert people freaking yelling at you, but it's always entertaining, you know. Like even when they're giving you absolute shit, like it's always quite good. And, um, and, and it's funny. <laughs> yeah, I love it, and so I really do miss that. Now I've got to try and get myself around the you know around the running track, and I don't do it often enough. Yeah, you know it's funny because I don't know anybody. You know it it it's maybe stereotypical but we're we're fat and unhealthy in this country and uh we have way too much excess and we don't have enough discipline and it's funny that i i've interviewed over 40 veterans well not all veterans but probably a good 36 or 37 and i don't know of a single one of them that told me they missed the pt part of it <laughs> Oh no! So, I suppose it was what I was best at. So, so you know, you know, that's pretty I, cool. I was never in trouble in that class. I, uh, I, I, I miss that for the sole reason that there was so much structure and discipline that you really couldn't get away from it. You were not going to be unhealthy while you were in, nah, you know. But I, I will tell you this: one of the first things that my wife and I noticed when we went to New Zealand, we went to a restaurant. And we ordered, and of course, I, you know, I ordered the lamb, right? Because you got to have lamb in New Zealand. And um, I noticed that they don't give you. So if you go to anywhere in the states and you order dinner and you order tea, let's say you order iced tea, which we do here. I don't know if y'all do iced tea over there, but uh, we do a big old thing of sweet tea, sweet iced tea, full of sugar. And it's an endless flow. As soon as your cup gets to the bottom, they fill it back up. And so you can have these huge gargantuan and be drinking eight or 10 of them while you're eating dinner. And they just keep filling it up. It's a bottomless pit, right? And so we went to New Zealand and we ordered and they give you a, a normal size human consumption size cup. And that's all you get, you know, and if you want to go, yeah, yeah. you know. And then uh, and the other thing I noticed, too, at the time when we went to New Zealand back in 2014, I was actually training for a triathlon, so I was eating really healthy. But you notice immediately the differences because when I got my plate, it was about six ounces of meat. It was, you know, about four ounces of vegetables, you know, and and that's that's normal. That's what normal people eat. And uh, over here, man, you order a, a chicken fried steak that's hanging over the side of the plate. It's all deep fried. And it's got gravy all over it. And then you get another plate with your sides, you know, and and it's just yeah. it's just who we are. Yeah, no, like we've um, um we've we've got Wendy's, like we don't actually oh and Carl's Jr. So they're sort of actually quite new. Um they haven't even got down to the capital yet. Sort of, you know, Auckland's where the main population is up north and it gets steadily less and less and less people as you go south. Um and substantially less as you go to the South Island. But um, so in Wellington, we don't even have Wendy's or Carl's Jr. But um, so we went and got Carl's Jr. We couldn't believe the size of the burgers. They were huge. And the buddy drinks. It gives you a full liter. We are like, what the hell is this? Our cup holders won't hold it. Our cup holders won't hold the freaking the, uh, the drive-thrus from Wendy's. To, yeah, no. So it's, it's outrageous. No. I do know that when we went to visit, we went into some place, and I couldn't believe we were going in there. I'm like, really? Like, we're going to go to this? And it's, it's a commercial restaurant that's here in the States. And I don't remember if it was uh, – it wasn't a Wendy's. It might have been like a Burger King maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah, in, we got them. Yep. In Auckland. Yeah. And uh, one thing I noticed is that 
they there was a big thing above the menu that said all their meat was Angus beef, which in the States, yeah. you don't get that, man. You get some kind of manufactured mystery meat patty that they, you know, mass produce somewhere. And Yeah, well, a lot of New Zealanders, we don't understand the organic movement, right? Like, we're like, why would you bother? Like, you pay so much for it. Why'd you bother with this organic movement? And because all our meat, you know, it, it all is. It, it's so close to being organic that you're you don't need to step, um, you know, specify it, except for our chickens. We keep our chickens really poorly, but you know, pretty much every other animal we're pretty good on. Um, but then, you know, Netflix became available in New Zealand, and we all, all saw that documentary about the food, or I think it was rotten or something like this, and and about how food is made in America, and which is a holy yeah. shit. And when we visit America, we're only eating organic. Like, jeez, like it's cheap, but holy no, yeah. <laughs> When, when Brad's dad came over here to visit, we took him to this burger joint that we go to. And uh, it's a very famous burger joint. And and the hamburgers, are they're huge, man. They're like as big as your face. They're huge. And they're like that thick, you know, and they have to cut them in half so you can eat them because they're too big. And so we ordered for, for Steve. And we sit down at the table and they start bringing the food out. And he looked at it. He says, is that for all of us? And, and, you know, we're like, no, man, that's just yours. <laughs> yeah. you know? he, was, he was like, what in the world are you doing? Yeah. Wow. And, and I suppose that's like, you know, one of the things like the costs of eating out over here is, is astronomical. So um, our wages aren't high. Like I think uh, that our minimum wage is 20 bucks an hour or 20 New Zealand dollars an hour. But to eat out a standard, you know, a dinner, just a standard one is $36. And that's, that's so that's just one plate that's not your entree that's not your dessert that's like just a, a very normal meal as you say you know six ounces of meats and veggies and yeah so that's dirty so to eat out is it's pricey over here so yeah yeah, yeah. Like, well that, that's good though you know because I, I remember like we went to some little corner store and they wanted five bucks for for a coke you know in a bottle yeah and uh and then a candy bar was the same thing. It was it was way out of, you know, proportion. But it's because again we're so used to all the, I mean, you, I can I can walk to a store from here, well, maybe a couple of years ago I could walk to a store from here, and uh, and you know you can get all the junk food you want for under a dollar. Man, it's just ridiculous. And uh, but that's the reason why we're so unhealthy, and that's why our healthcare system is you know just bursting at the seams with sick people because we don't take care of ourselves and uh yep yeah that'll fortunately i have some good friends who are military uh i didn't serve with them but you know it's just weird I'm, i don't know how it is in your country but even if you didn't serve with somebody there's still a kinship there yeah know? yeah you got to find out what unit they're from and you know get their backstory yeah. and yeah 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 absolutely yeah and so i got some guys that really care about me not not croaking, man. You know, uh, because I'm unhealthy, and and I am I am back on trying to trying to get go that direction. But um, so, what did you do? Like, how did you go from okay, I'm fumbling around a little bit. I'm gonna do this. Was it was it need based? Like, I got to do something for my family now, or is it something that you wanted to get into? Oh, sorry for the rifle stocks. Or, well, just in general. Um, no, I don't. I've, I've been lucky. My partner is like supportive, so she's never really forced me to do 
anything. Um, she's always she's always been really supportive. Um, so most of the times, the things I've done, you know, the the, the career choices I've done, I've, I've you know because of my own mistakes or decisions, um, not because of pressure from anyone else. Um, so yeah, no, no, I, I never felt pressured to go any direction. Um, well, I suppose it's just the reason to leave the military was because I realized I wasn't going to go very far in it. Um, I was going to go to corporate and I was going to stay there. And New Zealand used to have a system where when you paid, it was it was like you give a dollar of your uh, money to the government and then when you've done 20 years, the bonus makes that $17. So it was something like that. So after 20 years in the military, you came out and you bought a house, a car and a batch or a boat and, and you know, that used to be the case but they got rid of that policy and now it's only kiwi saver which is um the government savings scheme which is you know across the boards for everyone and you it's it's no better than putting the money in you know having the money yourself and putting it in a stock market or putting you know they, they don't do any better with it you know that's just a forced tax really so it's not a retirement like here if you stay in 20 years you get 60 percent or 70 percent of your of your active duty income. So whatever you were making while you were active, uh, if you do 20 years, you get a certain percentage of that every month for the rest of your life that they don't have that. No, no, that it doesn't. Not to, to the extent that's actually going to support you anymore. So you can't, you can't spend your life in the military and assume you'll be taken care of. That's, that's no longer really the case. Um, so, yeah, no, nah, not over here. So, the support disappeared um, and I realized I wasn't going to make the money. So, so go and do something else. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And so how did you get into the stocks? I mean, you obviously have to kind of be a shooter to begin with if you're going to oh, get well, into making rifle stocks, right? No, nah, no. Nah. So my, my mate, the, the guy that started at Clive, um, he, he's a shooter and he okay. loved to shoot. He loves his guns, you know, talk about them all day. Um, Whereas uh, my, my experience with guns is I like to shoot them. And then after that, I have to spend all my time keeping them clean so I don't get yelled at. Um, so that, that's that, that's mainly my experience with a rifle. So um, I, I like it. So if I can t keep it clean and it, and it does and I can shoot it and I can pass my test nice and easy, then, you know, a bit of it. So he, he was the one passionate about that. What I was good at is, um, I don't know, I, I suppose making stuff. So... Um, there are two other of us, uh, Rocky and myself, um, and and Rocky knows his way around the computer, so he could do the computer programming, and I know my way around sort of glues and just building random shit. So I was like, "Well, we can put this together." Um, and so it was it was me and Rocky that mainly came up with with how to um, make a rifle out of um, carbon fiber. Um, oh, yeah. If, if, do you want to hear the process or is that just going to be? Yeah, man, absolutely. Okay, so, so, um, so what we did is you, we get, uh, got a rifle that we like the shape of it and just used uh fiberglass and pulled a mold of that rifle off. And then we got a, um, a smaller version. So we used the CNC, um, router to make a smaller version of that rifle uh, or just a very similar shape. And we put a, um, a silicon over that. And so it was like a big silicon condom over a skinny rifle stock. Um, 
and then our um the one the 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 mold that we'd taken from the original stock um we put layup carbon fiber inside of it with the glue uh put the the rifle stock um condom inside of it close the whole thing up and um just inflate it and, and keep the air in there and so that got us our shape and then to that's uh, with carbon fiber most of the strength is in in the shell so um we could stand on that shell we could have the tip on a four by two and the and the uh the tip of the uh four four oh my god i've forgotten the names of everything and the butt um on on a step so that the whole thing was supported you could stand on it as an empty shell and it was strong enough to take that so it was, it was seriously stiff um wow. and then poured and, and filled it with this we, did, we experimented with several different compounds um of filling material and found um it's just some really cheap ones off the shelf that do an amazing job and then in the action area depending what sort of so we used um a seven mil ren mag i think for testing to see if it was strong enough to handle the um to handle it and so we did that and we used um a carbon fiber and we used oh sorry we used the, the resin carbon fiber and iron i think mix um might not be nine, I might be wrong there. Forgotten necessarily that went to anyway. So we used a heavy fill for that one. Um and that was fine. And just the lighter fills for for a lot of rifles. So for you know two, two, three, we didn't need to use the, the heavy fill for it. Um but yeah, so so that was really the process. It was really quite simple. Um and we, we got it down so that you could make a rifle uh, the shell um in 20 minutes. So wow. Um, and the reason for this is, is the shooter mate so in new zealand um if you want to buy a carbon fiber rifle stock you you kind of got to go to the states um we've got a couple that do it over here um but you know your ugly designs and, and and what have you so they're not necessarily anything special and they've got big back orders and so a lot of the time you want to go to the states and to get a mcmillan rifle stock out of the states takes six months at least if you order it and you've got six months or more to wait before you know potentially they even start making it um and being in new zealand trying to pay american prices for something was just so what so i think it was 500 americans so you're spending a thousand almost new zealand dollars just to get a raw stock and you've still got your rifle and, and everything to put on top of it so um yeah yeah it, over the side of the world it really makes sense to to make them yourself or you, so know, you could do a business with them quickly did the fact that and i don't let's talk about this because it ties into what i want to ask you i want to ask you is is was it the atmosphere in new zealand that didn't really help your business grow but but um what is the gun owning atmosphere in new zealand like well it's a bit funny at the moment actually so no it wasn't the atmosphere in new zealand that was um clive seemed to do everything he could not to make a business um there was it was very confusing for both myself and rocky so um we we parted ways with him in the end. So you you take it and you do what you want to do. But um, it, it did seem to do everything not to make money, which was odd. Um, <laughs> but so no, the gun ownership business in New Zealand or, or situation is a little bit funny now. So we did used to have it so that um, you, you always needed a license. So in order to get a basic license, which gave you the right to own any bolt action firearm and any uh um and you could have a semi-automatic up to mm, i think it was 223 
definitely you could have 22 semis, but I'm fairly sure you could have a 223. I might be wrong there. Semi-automatic on your A-class license. And so to get an A-class license, all you had to do was have um, two people that had known you for more than, I think it was five years, say that you're a good character. Um, you had to sit down and do a 20-minute um, gun safety test and gun law test with the um, with the police officer or the gun um, control officer. And you had to prove you had a place that you could lock it up. So, and, and a good enough uh, thing to lock it up was, do you have a padlock, a chain, and can you put it in your attic? If the answer was yes, good, you can own a firearm. Any of these are yours. Off you go, have fun. Um, and, and that seemed to work pretty well, you know. Um, and then if you wanted to have a pistol or a fully automatic assault rifle or anything like that, you could do that. Um, you needed to have a proper safe. Um, so, you know, a, pro a proper gun safe that was made for it, that was bolted to the ground. Um, you had to have um no you had to pass was it uh, it was a more in-depth interview i think of your character so they were supposed to look you know to make sure you're not a complete nutter really you know are you mentally ill are you going to go nuts with this bloody thing and if the answer to that was no then you got your ecat license um and and that meant you could have just about any firearm you'd like um yeah, I don't think you could get rocket launchers in New Zealand. I don't think that was ever a thing. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, that, that's how a gun system worked. And it would have been quite good. Uh, I feel that it should have been quite good. Um, the problem was that the your your gun money, so you paid registration when you um, joined your, you know, got your firearms license, you paid a fee. Um, and that fee was supposed to be for the upkeep and tracking of the firearms. So if you bought, you know, that they're supposed to come and, and visit you and they could book a time to visit you to see that you were keeping the guns safely um, and all that sort of thing, just to, just to make sure that it was done. But unfortunately, the money wasn't used for that. That that service was never properly funded. Um, so the tracking of the firearms, what they wanted to achieve or, or, or the making sure that everything was safe and it was good wasn't done. The money was taken from there by um, our fantastically organised government services and plundered into something astoundingly stupid so it ended up just a complete mess um and the the private gun clubs did a much better job of um sort of you know tracking um where all the firearms were and, and who were members and all that sort of thing it was, yep the, the government did a terrible job um in short on that and then we had a massacre um where brian tennant i think i forgot his bloody name um, he went and he killed 52 Muslims in a mosque. And he was an Australian bloke, but he chose New Zealand because it was such a soft target. 52 Muslims in a mosque in Christchurch. Um, and the response from our government was to ban all fully automatic um, firearms. And we did a big buyback and we bought a whole heap of them. And this is really in line with Australia after the Port Arthur massacre of Australia. And Australia credits that doing that has saved them. I think statistically they should have had five more massacres of a similar size of Port Arthur. Um, and they credit, they've had none. So they they credit that policy to that. Um, and New Zealand's gone down a similar road. Um, but the, the problem is that it's not really, um, 
oh, I don't think it entirely takes account of, you know, New Zealand sportsmen. Um, we can no longer, I, I don't see any way that you can practically compete in a three gun event in New Zealand anymore. I don't know how you would train for that. The, um, having a pistol is just about impossible now. Having, you can get a semi-automatic assault rifle, but I don't think you can get a fully automatic assault rifle in New Zealand anymore. Um, and so, you know, a lot of sportsmen, a lot of collectors have lost, lost stuff that they really like. Um, if the system had been funded properly in the first place, then that guy who got the A-class, oh, sorry, the E-cat uh, firearms, he was a nutter. If the job, if, you know, the government had been doing their job and the interview process was followed through and his background check was followed through, he would have never got that ECAT. He might have got an ACAT, but he would have never got ECAT license. So under the laws we had, if it was being done, it should have been safe. Um, so it does seem like partly political point scoring because we are a very liberal country. Um, we're basically Bernie Sanders could, you know, step in and be a, um, a New Zealand politician, and he wouldn't stand out. You know, he'd, they'd be like, well, we've already got free health care. I don't know what you're on about. We've already got freaking uh, almost a universal, you know, um, health, what do you call it, uh, social welfare for everyone. So, you know, he, he'd be saying stuff that was old to us. We'd be like, yeah, we did that 30 years ago, mate. Um, so <laughs> that's... It's funny that you're in New Zealand and you know Bernie Sanders and you know what he stands for. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what's funny, like, when I look at the, the, from a very outside point of view, so sorry, please forgive my complete ignorance on this because I clearly, you know, it, it's it's a country around the other side of the world. Um, but I look at America and I see that both the right and the left are essentially asking the same thing. Leave me alone to do what I want to do. And for some reason, neither side can do that. Like, you know what? They, like, I don't understand why. Um, it's the same over here, like, you know, we, we can't sort of keep, we, we've got to keep our, pot, you know, I, I don't know. We should be allowed to do anything, you know, have the attitude. I want to be able to have my guns. And like, well, that's fair enough. You want to have your, to have your guns. And this guy's like, well, I want my drugs. I'm like, well, you can't have your drugs. It's like, well, you've got your guns. Why can't I have my drugs? So, you know, we're, we're in each other's business, whether we like it or not. And we can't let each other freaking just, you know, be ourselves and, and leave each other alone. So, I don't know politics. Politics is bloody terrible, and I don't know if anyone's a winner out of that one. But um, yeah, yeah, especially here, man. It's um, it's horrible, and and if people just just treat each other, you know, the way God intended us to treat one another, <clears throat> uh, with love and respect and kindness, uh, we probably wouldn't need uh, the political parties that we have, uh basically you know bludgeoning each other to death you know over stupid stuff i mean it you know yeah. it, it really is has a lot to do with with power you know people want more power on both sides and you know it's just yeah. i think as long as we only have a two-party political system we're going to continue to have the issues that we have on both sides um because there's no middle ground you know it's either yeah. one way or the other yeah and um, yeah. i think a country needs to swing to the center, quite honestly. Yep. You know, yep, yep. you don't want the nutters either side freaking taking control. You know, you reckon yeah. that's what's good about people and civilization is that, you know, we might have ideas, but, you know, you can have radical ideas, but the, the political system moves slowly or should move slowly. So, you know, everyone's kept safe from uh, the left or the right's crazy freaking ideas. And we all sort of travel down the, the rather sensible middle road. 
But um, and, yeah, you know, I I think that if if it the the more center that it stays, the less also the less also that you have of polarizing your base. You know, you have a lot less people getting pissed off about whatever it is that you're pissed off about. You know, and, yeah, right. You know, the other side would take notice. You know, both sides should understand that. If we just kind of, you know, it's okay to swing a little bit, you know, on one side or a little bit the other side, but kind of stay in the middle there and you won't piss anybody off. But no, they're, you know, yeah. they're, they're concerned with power and how much can they get. And they, that thing swings all the way, you know, as far as it will go to one side every four years. And yeah. uh, as a result, you have, all the other people on the other side that are just like up in arms. And, and um, I think my wife says it best all the time. You know, I used to be really politically charged. I used to like aggressively, you know, want to tongue lash people or get into, you know, arguments about politics. And my wife sat me down one day and she's like, you do realize that nobody really cares what your opinion is except for you. Right. And, uh, <laughs> You know, that was kind of a pill to swallow because yeah. I'm like, you know, but, you know, here we are a few years later and I opened my business and I, I care about, you know, things that we can support with the business and I could care less. I mean, obviously, I don't want them in my pocket every time I make a transaction, but uh, I think that's everywhere. You know, I think that's I mean, I know that, you know, in your country, my country doesn't really matter. Uh, the more that you're allowed to operate independently, uh, people will take care of themselves. I'll take care of my medical expenses. I'll take care of my family. I'll make sure that my cars are registered. I'll make sure that I have insurance. I'll yeah. I'll do those things, you know. But uh, I just think it's weird that we have so many common things, and and um, you know. But there's a you know with with the veteran groups. I really find that uh, most of us are like-minded, you know, for the most part. And uh, a lot of us are conservative in this country. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that'd be, you know, pr pretty much the same over here as well. Well, you know, conservative for New Zealand isn't necessarily conservative for the US, but um, it's traditionally more Christian um, than the rest of society has been. Um, we, we still pray, you know, in, in the military, um, on parades and, and stuff like that. So it's Christian, it's got Christian values. Um, and so whether or not you are a Christian in New Zealand military, you are forced to adopt Christian values. Um, you know, it's not said as much, but you know, the, the good Samaritan is a Christian value, um, that you're yeah. very much, you know, expected to support. Um, and so it's Chris, yeah, yeah. And well, I sort of agree. Like if you look after each other, it, it doesn't really matter what it is like you're going to be good um yeah and and basically at the end of the day they you know because because obviously oh actually in the in the building i came across a a, a very for new zealand he was very um right wing um and i was working with him and he was, he was an older guy and but we had some really good conversations as we were building because you know building with them all day um had some really great conversations and and came to realize that really and truly people just want to be left alone to do their own damn thing and if you leave them alone and, and and as long as you're not interfering with other people you know um yeah yeah and it's a bit of a shame that in new zealand you know like 
we've lost, you know, we've lost sports, we've lost guns, we've lost rights, and you know, in that respect, and, and that kind of sucks for the people that are into it. Um, and it didn't have to happen. It happened because of a knee-jerk political reaction, um, and like you know, Jacinda Ardern got really, really praised for it. Um, globally, everyone was like, oh, "It's the right move. It's great." Um, but the community that was affected by it has some legitimate arguments that have never been addressed, and some legitimate grievances, and saying, "Hey, if you had done the job properly in the first place, we would still have our our toys." You know, because that's what it is. It's our toys over here. Um, yeah, it, it's it's not really because mm. the, the people so I, I think the people that like um cull the deer because deer are a big problem over here and they cull them from the helicopters um and the people that do that still have access to um fully automatic you know the ar-15 and, and that sort of thing um but yeah like like the sport's gone the sport's gone over here so it, and I agree with that. when you say fully automatic you're talking like a semi-automatic assault rifle, right? Like an AR-15? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because like here, you're not, a, unless you have a class three license, like a, you're a dealer, you can't own a fully automatic weapon. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Semi-automatic over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the same deal. And, and so, the, but the ARs, you can buy them all day long. You can buy the parts to build them. You can buy the yeah. 30, ma the 30 round magazines all day long. Uh, yeah. You know, I've got a twenty. I've got two twenty-five round magazines for my Ruger ten twenty-two. Uh, yeah, no, we were talking about this earlier. You were telling me about the penalty. Um, yeah, I believe at the moment it's a hundred thousand dollar fine if the uh, officer came into my house and found those in there. Wow. Actually, I'm not sure about the strict legality of it. I'm not sure if it's illegal only when it's stuck to my rifle, or if it's illegal to own it. Uh, if you've got the bigger caliber, um, you know, the 5.56 or bigger, I'm pretty certain that's illegal to own. So I think wow. there's some funny gray areas so people can have it as a collection, but it only becomes illegal when it's on the rifle. You know, I we, we kind of have similar, um, there's things that are similar, uh, not a lot, but we, um, I strongly believe that if, if the gun control that we have on the books now, I believe it suffice to prevent the problem is and maybe you don't have such a big problem with it because you're an island it's not like you guys can just you know like we have most of the gun manufacturers are in the united states you know yep. and so guns are mass produced uh, to send out to the entire world and the problem here is that if you try to make stricter laws all it's going to do is affect the law-abiding citizens you know, it makes yes. it harder for us because the criminals are going to buy guns on the black market. They're going to buy guns, you know, that don't have numbers on them. They're going to buy guns that that they shouldn't be allowed to buy. And yep. um, and like, I don't, I don't know if uh, I know we talked about something earlier where you said that like the uh, the snowstorm last year from Texas. Actually, y'all heard about it in New Zealand. Uh, did y'all hear about the church that got shot up uh, in Texas? No. So we had a church and uh, this kid was mentally, he had some mental issues. He wasn't mentally challenged. He just, he had some issues like when he got out of the military and uh, the air force really should have like 
like nipped it in the bud before he got out, but they didn't. Yeah. And so there's a whole chain of failure that happened along the way. And, uh, and then where he bought his gun, they never should have sold it to him. And, um, he went to a church where his ex-wife was at or whatever. And it was an old wooden church that was, you know, thin wood walls, no insulation. And he started at the back of the church on the outside and he started shooting through the walls and he walked all the way towards the front and then he went back and then he went inside and shot. And there was a guy across the street that was a firearms instructor and he had an AR-15. And so when he got a shot at this guy, cause he had body armor and when he got a shot at the guy, which is difficult with body armor, right? But he took a shot and got him right here in the opening part of the body armor. And uh, if it wasn't for that guy, he would have killed, you know, everybody in the church yep. versus, but that's one of those horrific things. That's like, yes, if that guy didn't have his weapon and know how to use it and have been able to train with it, he wouldn't have been able to stop that guy. But by the same token, if the process worked the way it was supposed to, it never would have happened in the first place. Yeah, that's, yeah. You know, and so I think we have similar things. The problem is, like, we're really attached to our Second Amendment constitutional right in this country. <laughs> yeah. so, you know, yeah. the con it, it says the right to bear arms. And, and the reason being, my wife said it the other day, and, and I never thought about it, but most people in this country are bred to rebel. We're bred for rebellion. We're bred with a fighting spirit about us because, yep. you know, our great, 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 great grandfathers fought the British and we, we, we developed our own country. At some point, the country split and we fought our brothers and sisters. Uh, and then we fought, you know, the British again in the 1800s. And and so and then Texas, if you're from my area, my, my family was here when it was still Mexico. And they were given an opportunity to either cross the new border that they were making or stay where they were at and become Texians. And they chose to fight with Texas. And so Texas, for a brief period in history, we were a country, you know, on our own. That's why you that's why you always hear that everything is bigger in Texas and Texas this. And, and if you ever meet a Texan there, man, that guy's really proud. He thinks everything about Texas. Well, that's because it's kind of bred into us, you know. And yeah. so we're kind of married to that second amendment, you know, I mean, I, I believe in it. I believe that, uh, you know, that I have a right to, to bear arms and, and nobody should come into my house and tell me what I can or can't have, and you shouldn't be tracking it. Um, but again, if, if the process worked properly, you know, I had to go through a process. I had to get, I was investigated by the FBI. Uh, I was investigated by all the local, you know, police and everything. They did an, a thorough background check to make sure I didn't have a loose screw somewhere that yep. I wasn't in and out of jail, that I wasn't a problem before they said, okay, you can go buy guns now. And so, uh, you know, th those are similarities, even though there's a, some pretty vast differences, but uh, basically at the core, man, if, if the, if the system would have done what the system was supposed to do, we probably wouldn't have half these conversations. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's pretty, pretty, pretty different, but, uh, your country's beautiful, man. I, you know, I, 
I I pray that what happens in the next five to ten years, and we get to a point where we get to spend half a year in New Zealand, and the other half in in the states, you know, and because uh, uh, you know it's been I guess three years now since since my wife's gone back, and yep. uh, the first year was by choice, but the last two years, you know, obviously you guys are are shut down. But let's talk about that for a second because oh, yeah, yeah. because uh, I I saw an article that that uh, that Danielle. Uh, my daughter showed me the other day or sent it to my wife or something. And it was about the perimeter of Auckland and, and some, some kids or whatever, they snuck out and they went and got a bunch of Kentucky fried chicken and they got caught when they were coming back and now they're going to jail. Oh yeah. They weren't kids. They weren't kids. Um, so it was, <laughs> it, it's weird. It's weird. So it looks, it looks like it was, it was a bunch of gang members that been that snuck out. I don't know why they were crossing the border, but they were found with um, a lot of money and Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, so, how bizarre. does the average person feel about the uh, the restrictions that you have right now? You know, because uh, he, here's my view looking at because my wife works in this field. Yeah, and so to to us it looks like and and I, i'm not going to judge because i don't know i don't live in your country like you said earlier but to us it looks like wow you get one or two cases and then you shut the whole country down again you know for yeah. a, a virus that is is relatively the percentage is in the high 90s of you to recover from it even if you're not vaccinated yeah yeah so i suppose so in new zealand we've got free healthcare um, and so lots of our population doesn't have private healthcare. We've got free healthcare. We don't necessarily need to pay for it. Um, but we've got a population of 6 million people and we try and do a lot with, um, you know, being social, being a socialist country, essentially we've got a lot of socialist policies, you know, you get, um, if, if you can't afford to eat, the government gives you money to buy food each week. Um, there's, there's no payback on it. It's not like a food stamp system or something like that. It's um, it's it's pretty. It's just about free money. Um, so we're trying to do all this stuff on a very small country, or a very small population. But the country is relatively big. Like you know, if you put it, um, it, it's it's uh, what eighteen hundred, one thousand eight hundred miles long or thereabouts. I think two thousand. Bit over 2,000 kilometers long. Um, so it's a big area and you've got to do a lot of the money. And we tax quite low. Um, our top tax rate is, um, is, is under 40%, isn't it? 33, 33 is our top top tax rate, is 33%. So, so we tax relatively low. Um, we don't have a massive infrastructure of hospitals that can withstand, you know, I think. So before the pandemic, I was when it just hit, first hit, um, I was a builder, and our company had to go in and build more isolation wards um, in in the hospital. And I think in New Zealand we've got like was it like about 200, 200 ICU beds or something in the whole country? Like it's not heaps. It might be more than that, but it's not heaps. And if we wanted to get more, you know, it's not a case of building more because we don't have the doctors, we don't have the population of, of doctors and nurses or whatever it is to to run that. Um, and so. If we got a big flood of COVID, such as you know the US got, um, our, our healthcare system would completely collapse. It could not deal with it. Um, and the first two lockdowns seem to have worked quite well. 
you know, we, we were in lockdown for maybe four weeks or six weeks or something. And then we we're, were at absolutely no restrictions all over the country, um, no masks anywhere um, for, a, for, a, for a good period of time. It wasn't until Delta hit that um, our system hasn't really been able to deal with it. Um, which is why we're pushing strongly to get 90% of our population vaccinated. And I believe the policy is when we're 90% vaccinated, the risk to our um, healthcare system collapse is low enough that it's acceptable just to open the borders and, and open up the masks. That's my understanding. Hey, I, you know, I don't necessarily know everything. Um, and I'm not necessarily, but please don't quote me. But that, that's sort of like, I, I believe how it is. Um, so, I don't know, like, well, I think it was good. My family didn't get COVID. My missus has got asthma. COVID would be poor for her. My son, oh, sorry, my daughter has got a friend who's got cystic fibrosis. So COVID would be, you know, a death sentence to him. Um, so I'm quite happy with the government's, uh, you know, handling of it in general. Um, a lot, some people aren't, but the majority of New Zealanders are pretty much, you know, like even our protesters are pretty polite. So you know, we're pretty good at sort of going, yep, yeah, do as we're told. Um, we're, we're not a we're not a particularly rebellious nation necessarily. Like uh, us. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. We like uh <laughs> not not like Americans. Americans are pretty full on. Like you know, yeah. we see, like holy you know, yeah. I really appreciate your perspective there because again, I don't know, I don't live there, but my wife, I, I don't know what, how much of this she's catching, but I bet you she's loving it because I, you know, from, from a perspective of somebody who lives there, it's a very different aspect. We look at it as like, oh man, why do they shut the hook of that? Look at, you know, how many businesses are they destroying? Whatever. Because yeah, so we don't like um, to be told what to do. Right. Yeah. Right. Our but our businesses, we had a, a, a relief package. The first one seemed to be quite good. I don't think we lost many, uh, ho the, the retail industry, like for, food and stuff is suffering big time now. But for the yeah. first couple of um, lockdowns, um, we did a 85% of your wage, the government paid. Um, so oh, wow. the business might not be making money, but they don't have to pay their employees and their employees are still getting paid by the government. So that took a big chunk of um, uh, pressure off, off those small businesses. Yeah. Um, well, and then after that, they it was it was quite surprising you know the tourist industry didn't do as badly as we thought because new zealanders being able to go around the whole country safely we couldn't go to the rest of the world we're all having our holidays in new zealand um so it, you know it, it worked quite well um yeah. well, for, for me anyway i know some people really struggled you know with lockdown and what have you but the first two well, worked but now i think people who are normally don't like people are going to struggle with it no matter what you know what i mean yeah. But something you said that was really interesting, and I know we, we would never think about it from our standpoint because we have this plethora of doctors and nurses, you know, we got more than, you know, but I can't imagine if we didn't have enough doctors and we didn't have enough nurses and we didn't have enough ICUs. I mean, the city of Houston, which is one city in, in Texas, one city in Texas, 4.6 million people are in that city. One city. Yep. Not the whole state, one city. So almost the population in New Zealand. So now you take that and you figure out, okay, well, if you don't have enough doctors, I see now, I'm looking at this at a different perspective now, thanks to you. But now I, now I look at it, well, wow, you guys are doing the right thing because 
you couldn't handle, you know, 500,000 people uh, being in the ICU. You no, know? no, that would have, have all been locked at home. That's the, that would have died. Like, that's the real that's, must be, yeah. But see, that's the beautiful thing about, you know, so this guy told me one time, you know, if you ever get to go overseas, even if you have people that you know that live overseas and you, and you have a relationship with them, uh, it's worth more than, than going to school and reading textbooks, you know, because uh, here I was thinking a certain way, like, man, that's crazy socialist. I mean, that's almost communist, you know, but, but now you, when you look at it from a standpoint of, do you see how much you would hurt the general population if you didn't, you know, enforce these things, you know, as opposed to like here, we don't think about it. Cause I mean, there's, we have, I don't know how many schools in Texas that just make doctors, you know, yeah. and yeah. you know, I so, think there's two in New Zealand. Oh, wow. But there's one place you can get a medical degree in New Zealand, Otago, surely Auckland. See, where I go, there's one, maybe two totally in New Zealand. different perspective, man. But uh, everything is perspective because you know, I've talked to people before, even people in our own country. I met a guy from New York one time in the military. And the first thing out of his mouth is, oh, you're from Texas? So you got cows and horses? And I'm like, no, bro, I live in a city, you know? I, I No, I don't even know anybody who's got cows and horses, you know? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, you know, growing up, you know, now I live on a piece of property with horses. And so uh, it's not that, that I don't fall into that complete, you know, stereotype. But, uh, you know, it's just funny how, how we don't look at those things and, and, you know, I'm not going to get into the politics because I know we could probably talk politics for hours. Uh, perspective anyway, you know, from both sides. I know we, you and I talked a little bit before the show, but um, getting close to the hour mark, man. And I just want to I want to thank you for the time that we got to talk before the show started. And yep. uh, and I definitely appreciate your time. You know, uh, I know I've taken up a couple of hours of your Saturday and uh and i really do appreciate uh your time i appreciate your perspective and uh and i look forward to whenever they open the country up uh us actually getting to sit down and having a cup of coffee in person yeah it'd be great i look forward to it yeah man um absolutely afternoon. it's been lovely it's um it's just a little bit it's a little bit freaking not the flashes here we've got a rain spring rain that's what we get in new zealand in uh, springtime rain um it's very green so, uh, but yeah, no, thank you very much. Um, yeah, good. I thought it was funny that when we, when I went, uh, when, when Michael was born and, and I was trying to park in the driveway there where at Brad's and Danielle's apartment or wherever they were living. And Brad's like, well, just drive right here on the grass. And I'm like, you know, in Texas, you don't drive on people's grass because it might not rain for the next three years. <laughs> and so the, you don't drive on somebody's grass, you know? Yep. And, uh, and it was because, trust me, if you kill it today, it'll come back tomorrow. And uh, that was one thing. It was very, very green, you know. Yeah. Well, listen, sit tight for just a second. I'm going to put you back in the green room. I'm going to close the show, and then I'll come back to you in just a second. Oh, nice. All right. Hang, hang tight. There you go, folks. A native New Zealander, New Zealand Army, and a great conversation, you know, gave me a new perspective about – being so hard, you know, we just don't know. We're stupid. We assume. 
And I read a book one time and, and the guy told me that assumption is the lowest form of human knowledge. So we should never assume that we know something or we should never. First off, the Bible tells us that there's but one judge and he's not of this world. And so we shouldn't be judging other countries or other people. Uh, and, and I will tell you, we had some candid conversations about politics before the show, because, you know, I don't do politics on the show. Uh, but it was nice to see a perspective um, that wasn't my own uh, from an outsider looking in. And so we have work to do. I, I will tell you that much. And I've believed that for a long time. So check out the website. Use D-1. I put it in the comments uh, for 10% off or 20% off on monthly subscriptions. Uh, we're going to be out at the Kingsbury Aerodome tomorrow. If you all want to come out, they're going to have a bunch of pre-World War I airplanes and World War II airplanes. Uh, they do an old-fashioned fly-in on a grass field. Uh, we're going to be out there selling coffee uh, live. And so uh, come out and visit us, say hi, and uh, mention James chapter 1, verse 2, and I'll give you 20% off on anything we have at the live event. All right? Treat each other the way God intended us to treat one another with love, kindness, and respect. Until next Friday, God bless.